Welcome to LOA Today. I'm Walt Thiessen here with Louis D'Souza. Today is Monday, June the 3rd. It is 8 a.m. in New York. It's 5 a.m. in Los Angeles, 1 p.m. in London, and 10 p.m. in Sydney, Australia. But wherever you are in the world, thank you for joining us for another episode of LOA Today, your daily dose of happy. And I'm happy that we're back to doing another week of your daily dose of happy. It's always one of my highlights for the week every single day that I do it. And I love it when Louis comes to join me, especially when we're talking about Richard Bach and Illusions, a book that we both love and that... Really, I think Louis deserves a lot more attention than it gets in modern LOA circles. I don't think most people are even aware of it, which is one of the reasons we're doing the book. But it's it's fabulous, and it's so simple and so clear. Totally agree. Morning, everybody, or afternoon, or evening, or... <laughs> Wherever you are, whatever time of day it is, if you're waking up in the middle of the night to listen, we appreciate that, too. So um, anyone who's tuning into the live stream, if you have questions while we're discussing the book and, and reading from the book, by all means, feel free to uh, uh, chime in and, and type into the uh, live stream comment section. We'll be glad to address all that. But uh, I, I just, let's see, oh, I want to get my announcements out of the way. First of all, just to let people know who are interested about what's going on with The Grass is Greener, the audio play that Alex King and I are developing. We have uh, completed the first round of auditioning. We are doing callbacks now, and we're getting really excited because we've got a large group of, of people who have applied, and even the group who are in the callbacks is a decent-sized group of really talented people. So we think we're going to get a good cast out of this. And the tentative goal at this point is to have the final um, production of the first episode done by the middle of June. So it's coming soon, folks. It's coming really soon. Uh, Sounds amazing, Walt. I'm looking forward to listening to that. Oh, yeah. It's going to be good. Uh, In fact, I also want to thank a few of our listeners who decided to apply and uh, uh, be part of the casting process. And a couple have actually made it to the second round, which is pretty cool. Great. Yeah. Good stuff. All comes Um, to them. (laughs) <laughs> also, I want to remind people who are not yet subscribers to the podcast, you know, we do this five days a week. We have different topics every single day. I have different co-hosts. It's always a different episode, so you get lots of variety, which actually makes sense. We're talking about the law of attraction that applies in every aspect of our lives, so why not? But if you're not yet a subscriber, please become one. It's very easy to do. Just go to the homepage of our website, LOAToday.net, and you will see right there at the top of your screen instructions on how to use your device to become a subscriber. And then, of course, once you subscribe, share. So subscribe and share. Let other people know about it. And uh, let's see. Is there anything else I wanted to talk about? Oh, just uh, um, subscribing to on YouTube because that's where we're doing our live stream now. Uh, if you want to be a part of the live stream audience, which is a small portion of our overall audience, uh, and you haven't figured out how to do it yet, a um, couple ways you can get there pretty easily. One, we have the link in almost every description of every podcast episode that we put out there. But if you can't find the link, just go to YouTube and search for LOA Today Podcast Videos, and you will find it there. And then you can uh, not only uh, join the live stream, but you can also subscribe and click the little bell. That little bell gives you the notification that we're live. So even if you can't find the link, we'll let you know, which is pretty cool. So there it is. Those are our announcements for the day. And uh, unless you have something, Louie, that you want to bring up, I'd say let's get into the book. Yeah, no, let's go straight in. All right. So Illusions by Richard Bach. Published in 1975, so this book is a few years old, but I tell you, the stuff that's in this is timeless. We've been uh, getting to know the two main characters, the main protagonists, Richard and Donald Shimoda. Richard being at least semi-autobiographical. I'm not sure if he's like autobiographical or just the host or a character that Richard Bach made up, but he seems kind of like a merger of of the three, don't you think? Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, something like that. Um, but anyway, Donald Shimoda is the Messiah. He's uh, the one who brought him the Messiah's handbook, and he's teaching Richard how to essentially apply the law of attraction, although that term never comes up in the book, but how to apply it in his life. And uh, Richard is, uh, like most of us when we're experiencing learning this stuff for the first time, is amazed and confused and bedazzled and trying stuff and can't seem to make it work. And then he makes it work in ways that shocks the heck out of him. It's a very, very familiar experience now that I think about it. <laughs> you, you'd be a little bit shocked if you started walking in water. Hey, well, 
I, I, well, actually, it's the swimming in earth part that really throws yeah. me. <laughs> <laughs> well, looking at what is easy. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yes. <laughs> so we're up to chapter 12. And uh, it starts off, as so many of these chapters do, with a little note from the Messiah's Handbook, which Donald gave to Richard. And the note says, the original sin is to limit the is. Don't. Good advice, I would say. It was an easy, warm afternoon between rain showers, sidewalks wet on our way out of town. You can walk through walls, can't you, Don? No. Hmm. When you say no to something, I know is yes, that means you don't like the way I said the question. Hmm, we certainly are observant, aren't we, he said. Is the problem with walk or with walls? Well, yes, and worse. Your question presumes that I exist in one limited place-time and move to another place-time. Today, I'm not in the mood to accept your presumptions about me. I frowned. He knew what I was asking. Why didn't he just answer me straight? and let me get on to finding out how he does these things. Well, that's my little way of helping you be precise in your thinking, he said mildly. Okay, so you can make it appear that you can walk through walls if you want. Is that a better question? Yeah, better, but if you want to be precise. No, no, don't tell me. I know how to say what I mean. Here's my question. How is it that you can move the illusion of a limited sense of identity expressed in this belief of a space-time continuum as your body through the illusion of material restrictions that is called a wall. Well done, he said. When you ask the question properly, it answers itself, doesn't it? No, the question hasn't answered itself. How do you walk through walls? Richard, you had it nearly right and then blew it all to pieces. I cannot walk through walls. When you say that, you're assuming things I don't assume at all. And if I do assume them, the answer is I can't. But it's so hard to put everything so precisely, Don. Don't you know what I mean? So, just because something is hard, you don't try to do it? Walking was hard at first, but you practiced at it, and now you make it look easy. <sighs> I sighed. Yeah, okay, forget the question. Well, I'll forget it. My question is, can you? He looked at me as though he hadn't a care in the world. So, you're saying that body is illusion and wall is illusion, but identity is real and that can't be hemmed by illusions? I'm not saying that. You're saying that. But it's true. Well, naturally, he said. How do you do it? Richard, you don't do anything. You see it done already, and it is. Gee, that sounds easy. Well, it's like walking. You wonder how it ever came hard for you to learn. Don, walking through walls, it isn't hard for me now. It is impossible. Well, do you think that maybe if you say impossible over and over again a thousand times that suddenly hard things will become easy for you? I'm sorry. It is possible, and I'll do it when it is right for me to do it. <laughs> he walks on water, folks, and he is discouraged because he doesn't walk through walls. But that was easy, and this argue for your limitations and you get to keep them, he sang. Did you not a week ago swim in the earth itself? Which is better than I've done. <laughs> well, yeah, I did that. And is not wall just vertical earth? Does it matter that much to you which direction the illusion runs? Horizontal illusions are conquerable, but vertical illusions aren't? Hmm, I think you're getting through to me, Don. He looked at me and smiled. The time I get through to you is the time to leave you alone for a while. The last building in town was a feed and grain warehouse, a big place built of orange brick. It was almost as if he had decided to take a different way back to the airplanes, turning down some secret shortcut alley. The shortcut was through the brick wall. He turned abruptly to the right, into the wall, and he was gone. I think now that if I had turned it once with him, I could have gone through it too, but I just stopped on the sidewalk and looked at the place where he had been. When I put out my hand and touched the brick, it was solid brick. Someday, Donald, I said, someday. And I walked alone the long way back to the airplanes. Donald, I said when I got to the field, I have come to the conclusion that you just don't live in this world. He looked at me, startled, from the top of his wing, where he was learning to pour gas into the tank. <laughs> we all have our things that we're learning. <laughs> of course not. Can you tell me one person who does? What do you mean, can I tell you one person who does? Me, I live in this world. 
Excellent, he said, as though through independent study I had uncovered a hidden mystery. Remind me to buy you lunch today. I marvel at the way you never stop learning. I puzzled over that. He wasn't being sarcastic or ironic. Ironic. He had meant just what he had said. What do you mean, of course, I live in this world? Me and about four billion other people. It's you who... Oh, God, Richard. You're serious. Cancel the lunch. No hamburger, no malt, no nothing at all. Here I had thought you had reached this major knowing. He broke off and looked down at me in angry in angry pity. You're sure of that, are you? You, you live in the same world, do you, as a, a stockbroker, shall we say? Your life has just been all tumbled and changed, I presume, by the new SEC policy. Mandatory review of portfolios with shareholder investment loss more than 50%. Oh, and you live in the same world as a tournament chess player, do you, with the New York Open going on this week? Petrosian and Fisher and Brown in Manhattan for a half-million-dollar purse. Well, what are you doing in a hayfield in Maitland, Ohio? You, with your 1929 fleet biplane, landed on a farm field with your major life priority, farmer's permissions, people who want 10-minute airplane rides, Kinner aircraft engine maintenance, and mortal fear of hailstorms. How many people do you think live in your world? You say four billion people live in your world? Are you standing way down there on the ground and telling me that four billion people do not live in four billion separate worlds? Are you going to put that across on me? from his fast talking. I could almost taste that hamburger with the cheese melting, I said. I'm sorry, I would have been so happy to buy, but uh, that's over and done now, it's best forgotten. Though it was the last time I accused him of not living in this world, it took me a long time to understand the words where the handbook opened. If you will practice being fictional for a while, you will understand that fictional characters are sometimes more real than people with bodies and heartbeats. Boy, that last bit really resonates with me, especially after uh, being involved with Alex King writing an audio play. It's exactly how it feels after a while. You, you, you've invented these characters out of thin air, and then all of a sudden they're breathing, and, mm-hmm. and you know how they feel about stuff, and you know how they think about stuff, and you say to yourself, how could these people have not you know, existed three months ago? But they didn't. <laughs> Interesting, isn't it? Yeah, it's really something. It's an amazing thing. Our minds are so powerful, and we are just beginning to learn how to plumb them. Just, It's just amazing. But what's your biggest takeaway from that chapter? <clears throat> well, of course, I love the, the whole idea that um, you're the only person in your world. Yeah. Um, That's a tough concept. It was a tough concept in the beginning. <clears throat> But now it's a tough concept to think the other way around. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> it's true, right? It yeah. is. It is. As you get used to something, it's like, oh, well, geez, that's second nature now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I play an online game, and uh, it, it's really very enjoyable. I've, I've played it now for about two years, and there's a mm-hmm. whole team of guys, and we've all got to know each other and all the rest of it, and it's, uh, you know, there's such a dynamic going on, and you very clearly start getting the idea that none of us live in each other's worlds because it's so vastly different. Mm. There's the one guy with these 10 kids, his wife's just left him. And there's another guy with 12 kids. And, uh, <laughs> you know, there's another one whose uh, father has just died of cancer. And, you know, and, and so you've got all these different individuals with their very different experiences. And uh, you, you're just blown away by the the incredible differenceness of us all and how we, we really do live in our own worlds. And there, there are short periods of time where we do bump into to other people's worlds, but uh, that little bit, little bit of bumping is, is just reaffirming your own world rather than, than being in theirs in any shape or form. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was also struck by the fact that he referred to there being 4 billion people in 4 billion worlds Today, we're closer to 8 billion. Yeah, I was thinking exactly the same. Like, how long ago was this book written? How many people have... I mean, how the book many is about 40 years old, but wow. <laughs> <laughs> We've been busy on this planet. <laughs> and that, that's, make, that's part of where the confusion comes in, because we live in now close to 8 billion separate worlds, and yet, like the way I just said that, we've been busy on this planet, like we're all in the same world. Yeah. 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 We're busy bumping into each other. Yeah, and we're good at that. It, 
what I think what we're really talking about here is what's the perspective we're going to use in order to understand how all this stuff works. And that's where the real advantage of the 8 billion people in 8 billion worlds concept comes into play because now we can start making sense out of it in a way we couldn't make sense before. It, it, it's quite interesting. There's a whole bunch of people getting together, bumping their similar worlds together in London today because Donald Trump is landing and getting an official visit. And they're all there. <laughs> I'd be running in the opposite they direction. Hate him. <laughs> they're all there to shout him down and uh, all the rest. Like, okay. <laughs> that's the world you want to play in. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Make him stronger and um, go for it. Make <laughs> <laughs> him stronger, right. We forget about that. Yeah. I, I, I saw a post on Facebook that I replied to briefly um, along the lines of, I, I understand how this all this stuff works. And then here going into, so why does this thing keep happening to me? Mm. And it really illustrated for me just how easily we can forget that this concept is simple. What we focus on, what we feel and think about is what we bring into our lives. And then we forget about it the moment that we have some sort of problem that goes on. And that just because I bring something into my life doesn't mean you're bringing it into your life and vice versa. Well, I think the biggest challenge people face with that idea is they don't fully understand the basics. No. They think they do. They think they've got an intellectual grasp in it. Right. But they... It takes time to learn it. Let's be honest. It just does. Even, even though it's simple, it just takes time to learn. But, you know, the first half of the learning is unlearning, isn't it? Exactly. Well, that's yeah. what it is. Yeah. yeah. It's it's uh, dropping away those old thinking where you know you thought Donald Trump could affect you you know yeah <laughs> in your world <laughs> many people believe oh. that very very fervently <laughs> oh but he can only affect me if if I think about him I worry about him if I try to push him away then he can affect me oh oh and if I don't he can have zero effect on me how does that work. Really? <laughs> it's really like that. Oh, come on, Louis, you're just talking rubbish. <laughs> I live in this world. You don't face reality. It's Get like, your head oh, out of the sand. <laughs> I wouldn't want to face reality I created. <laughs> yep, there it is. So let's move on to chapter 13. Once again, starting with a quote from the Messiah's Handbook. Your conscience is the measure of the honesty of your selfishness. Listen to it carefully. That phrase alone, I spent probably hours thinking about that one because especially at that time, even today too, but especially at that time, that that little quote was so loaded with buzzwords that had very heavily weighted meetings that, I mean, the way it was originally phrased didn't make any sense to me. I mean, it did. It made a lot of sense on an internal level, but in terms of how I interact with other people, I said, how do I even – relate to somebody else what it is that I understand here, because it was so different from the way we used to think at that time. Just read that quote again. Your conscience is the measure of the honesty of your selfishness. Listen to it carefully. The key words being conscience, honesty, and selfishness. First of all, selfishness, that was a really bad thing, <laughs> especially back in the 1970s. That was a really bad thing. For, for many people today, it's still a bad thing. It really was whipped. You, you did get hit with that one. A lot. Yes. It, it really was the, the whip of the day. And then honesty, I don't know about in the UK, but here in the US, you know, this was the era of Watergate. You know, this is the era of, of all kinds of anti-war protests and, and uh, an endless war in Vietnam and all this other stuff. And the idea of honesty and all that was laughable, which mm. probably a lot of people would you know, attribute to various things going on today as well. But that, no, that was a, a, a key component that honesty didn't really exist. It was just, it was a lie. And then conscience. Well, how could you be honest if you didn't have a conscience? How could you have a conscience if you weren't honest? You know, so we had conscience and honesty and then selfishness. Wait a minute. How could that possibly work? That that was the thought process, you know? Mm-hmm. Now I read it and I say, well, yeah, of course, but. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So anyway, the chapter starts off, we are all free to do whatever we want to do, he said that night. Isn't that simple and clean and clear? Isn't that a great way to run a universe? Almost, I said. You forgot a pretty important part. Oh, we are all free to do what we want to do as long as we don't hurt somebody else, I chided. I know what you meant, but you ought to say what you mean. There was a sudden shambling. And by the way, that was a big deal for me at the time. <laughs> it's a big deal for a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of people. 
There was a sudden shambling sound in the dark, and I looked at him quickly. Did you hear that? Yeah, sounds like there's somebody. He got up and walked into the dark, and he laughed suddenly, said a name I couldn't catch. It's okay, I heard him say. No, no, we'd be glad to have you. No need to st- for you to stand around. Come on, you're welcome, really. The voice was heavily accented, not quite Russian, nor Czech, nor Transyl- more Transylvanians. And please forgive me for my accent here, because I never do accents well. <laughs> Thank you. I do not wish to impose myself upon your evening. The man he brought with him to the firelight was, well, he was unusual to find in a Midwestern night. A small, lean, wolf-like fellow, frightening to the eye, dressed in evening clothes, a black cape lined in red satin. He was uncomfortable and light. I was passing by, he said. The field is a shortcut to my house. It is? Shimoda did not believe the man knew he was lying, and at the same time did all he could to keep from laughing out loud. I hope to understand before long. Make yourself comfortable, I said. Can we help you at all? I really didn't feel that helpful, but he was so shrinking I didn't want him to be at ease if he could. I did want him to be at ease if he could. He looked on me with a desperate smile that turned me to ice. Yes, you can help me. I need this very much, or I would not ask. May I drink your blood? Just some. It is my food. I need human blood. Maybe it was the accent. He didn't know English that well, or I didn't understand his words, but I was on my feet quicker than I had been in many a month, hay flying into the fire for my quickness. The man stepped back. I am generally harmless, but I am not a small person. I could have looked threatening. He turned his head away. Sir, I am sorry. I am sorry. Please forget that I said anything about blood. But you see, what are you saying? I was the more fierce because I was scared. What in the hell are you saying, mister? I don't know what you are. Are you some kind of vamp? Shimoda cut me off before I could say the word. Richard, our guest was talking and you interrupted. Please go ahead, sir. My friend is a little hasty. Donald, I said, this guy, be quiet. That surprised me so much that I was quiet and looked a sort of terrified question at the man caught from his native darkness into our firelight. Please do understand. I did not choose to be born a vampire. It is unfortunate. I do not have many friends, but I must have a certain small amount of fresh blood every night or I writhe in terrible pain, longer than that without it, and I cannot live. Please. I will be deeply hurt. I will die if you do not allow me to suck your blood. Just a small amount. More than a pint I do not need. He advanced a step toward me, licking his lips, thinking that Shimoda somehow controlled me and would make me submit. One more step and there will be blood, all right, mister. You touch me and you die. I wouldn't have killed him, but I did want to tie him up at least before we talked much more. (laughs) Donald Shimoda must have been laughing himself. He must have believed me, for he stopped and sighed. He turned to Shimoda. You have made your point? I think so. Thank you. The vampire looked up at me and smiled, completely at ease, enjoying himself hugely, an actor on stage when the show is over. I won't drink your blood, Richard, he said in perfectly friendly English, no accent at all. And as I watched, he faded as though he was turning out his own light. In five seconds, he had disappeared. Shimoda sat down again by the fire. Am I ever glad you don't mean what you say? I was still trembling with adrenaline, ready for my fight with a monster. (laughs) Don, I'm not sure I'm built for this. Maybe you better tell me what's going on. Like, for instance, what was that? Dot was a vampire from Transylvania, he said in words thicker than the creature's own. Or, to be more precise, Dot was a thought form of a vampire from Transylvania. If you ever want to make a point, you think somebody isn't listening, whip them up a little thought form to demonstrate what you mean. Do you think I ever did him, you know, with the cape and the fangs and the accent like that? Was he too scary for you? Oh, the cape was first class, Don. But that was the most stereotyped, outlandish. I wasn't scared at all. He sighed. Oh, well. But you got the point, at least, and that's what matters. What point? Richard, in being so fierce toward my vampire, you were doing what you wanted to do, even though you thought it was going to hurt somebody else. He even told you he'd be hurt if. He was going to suck my blood, which is what we do to anyone when we tell them we'll be hurt 
if they don't live our way. I was quiet for a long time thinking about that. I had always believed that we are free to do as we please only if we don't hurt another, and this didn't fit. There was something missing. The thing that puzzles you, he said, is an accepted saying that happens to be impossible. The phrase is, hurt somebody else. We choose ourselves to be hurt or not to be hurt, no matter what. Us who decides, nobody else. My vampire told you he'd be hurt if you didn't let him. That's his decision to be hurt. That's his choice. What you do about it is your decision, your choice. Give him blood, ignore him, tie him up, drive a stake of holly through his heart, and if he doesn't want the holly stake, he's free to resist in whatever way he wants. It goes on and on. Choices, choices. Well, when you look at it that way. Listen, he said, it's important. We are all free to do whatever we want to do. And that's the end of that chapter. But it's not the end of that concept, because that topic is a tough concept. Very tough topic. <coughs> so what, well, uh, let's both go down to the bank and steal all the money quickly. <laughs> <laughs> you know what my mentor once said to me? She said, um, you know, Louis, that no robber has ever been caught without their own permission, without them wanting to be caught. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so maybe that's why cat burglars don't get caught that often, I think. <laughs> they really don't think they're doing wrong, and they're probably a little bit of Robin e. Hood there, you know. They steal from the rich and give to the poor. And <laughs> could be, could be, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I could say the same thing about politicians. I mean, yeah. politicians don't think they're going to get caught. They steal for people all the time. <laughs> they steal our time with their lives. What? <laughs> they steal time. They steal money. They steal energy. They steal power. They steal all kinds of stuff. But they do it legally. Well, <laughs> they're doing what they want. Yeah, they are. <laughs> and when we pay attention to them and focus on them and get all excited about them, we're doing what we want. And we're uh, amplifying them and giving them more power. Mm. Which is exactly what they want. Mm. What a great system. <laughs> I, was, I was so curious about the whole Donald Trump um, election process because I was pretty sure he was going to win. <laughs> Were you? Yeah. And I was, I, was, I was saying from a law of attraction point of view, I was saying he's going to win because people don't like him, not only in America, but all around the world. Mm. People or friends and family and. You know, people were saying, you know, I hate this guy. I think he's terrible. And, you know, they were going on and on and on about it. So, wow, he's going to get so much power from so many people. It's unbelievable. <laughs> going to get so many mental votes. That's unbelievable. Yeah. So, I, I have to admit, I wasn't sure. I mean, I, I kind of thought it was going to be Hillary Clinton, but I also saw just how much energy and attention Trump was getting. Mm. I, I kept hedging my bet and hedging my bet and come election day, I really wasn't sure which way it was going to go because they were both hated. I mean, mm. this is the first election that I can ever think of. And I've, I'm a political science uh, major. So, I mean, that was my uh, thing to study is, you know, what's been going on with all the elections. This is the first one I can think of where both of the candidates had what they call higher unfavorables than favorables, meaning that a higher percentage of people actually didn't like them than liked them. Mm. I think that it happened not since polling had started. Of course, we started doing polling in this country in the, around the 1940s. Every single time there was at least one candidate who the public liked more than they disliked. This time they disliked both candidates. And I didn't know how to evaluate that one. <laughs> but it turned out that the power of the of, of the divisiveness that Trump put out there was, was more enticing in this sense. Mm. Along the lines of what you're talking about. And I think that's actually what carried him to victory. Um, despite... I would say some pretty clear odds against him because Clinton was definitely the favorite um, six months before. There was no doubt about that. But that changed when people focused on what they didn't want. <laughs> the, the, the biggest reason why I actually have never voted um, and, and I can't really vote is because I can't vote for this person, which I don't believe is going to be an effective leader, or that person I don't believe is an effective leader. And if those mm. are my choices. I can't vote. You know, I'll yeah. vote mentally for what I believe is right and just continue thinking about that, and I'll leave them to play their games, you know. I hear you. Yeah. I, I've actually voted on three occasions and never for a major party candidate. Okay. <laughs> never once. 
<laughs> and that was before I understood how law of attraction works. That was yeah, just, yeah. I, I simply couldn't stomach the idea of voting for any of them <laughs> because I really believe you vote for what you want. You don't vote against what you don't want. Now, a lot of people argue in, in favor of the idea of voting against what you don't want, but Donald Trump has very effectively proven the fallacy of that approach. <laughs> Absolutely. Because a whole bunch of people voted against Hillary Clinton and got Donald Trump. <laughs> it was yeah, it was quite the thing. But um, so let let let's read that quote again. Um, sure, the one at the end. Yeah. Listen, it's important. We are all free to do whatever we want to do. Unqualified. And it's the unqualified part that throws us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one thing when you do start living a bit of that philosophy, and I'd love to say I live it all the time completely, and that would be a complete lie. Um, no, it's not a complete lie. It's, it, I mean, we're all learning. That's the thing. Yeah. yeah. We're all learning how to do this. Um, you, you do feel a huge increase in freedom in not caring so much what people think about you. Mm. Um, and worry about what, how you may per be perceived in any shape or form because you really start getting you create your own reality. So the only person you really have to care about your feelings is your higher self and your higher self is going to give you positive or negative emotion based on your next action thought indeed. Um, so, you know, you, you're now going in listening and reacting, going in listening and reacting and, you know, you just, Oh, changes your world completely, absolutely, completely, completely. Um, I think one of the toughest parts about this concept is the idea, well, doesn't this mean that if you can just do whatever you want, then a whole bunch of bad stuff is going to happen and the person doing the bad things won't have anything bad happen to them. But like, there's no good and bad. So, yeah, like, like there's no there, there, there's no justice in the world. If, if this quote is true, then there's no justice in the world. That, mm -hmm. That's the conclusion a lot of people will draw. And, and justice in the world doesn't believe that we live alone in our own world. It believes other people can influence and affect us in ways we have no control over, which is completely not true. Mm -hmm. That's true. Yeah. <clears throat> and also we, by taking that position, we forget that everything that we focus on produces consequences. And by consequences, I don't mean something bad. A consequence is literally what happens next in the sequence. Yeah. You know, so, so everything that we focus on is going to create some consequence, and those consequences are often for the person who is, you know, doing the the thing that other people don't like, doing the bad thing that, as they so call it, the consequence often matches up with the thing that they did because law of attraction. They put out there this stuff that has X feel to it, and X feel comes back to them. And yeah. you know, there's some people who thrive on that, and other people who thrive on it not so much, and ones who thrive on it not so much tend to get it, you know, smacking them in the face like they ran into a brick wall. But <laughs> it all, the consequences are everywhere. They, mm. they don't stop. They don't require a government to impose them. They don't require a law. The law already exists. It's called the law of attraction. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's great fun. You, you watch people walking into walls everywhere and, uh, <laughs> and, then, and then they say, oh, my gosh, it's sore. You know, um, yeah, right. Why does my nose hurt? <laughs> yeah. and, and, and it's just just so so funny because you, you start seeing it and you start seeing it clearly and you really start seeing that other people are walking into walls. Now, the, the next thing that happens to an individual who sees it clearly is, oh, my gosh, now I need to save everybody. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. I've got to, I've got to um, make them aware of what they're doing. And then you start realizing that you want to invade somebody else's space. And then you realize oh, it's actually impossible. So let me not even try. But if I'm a shining example of it, then people may come to me and ask me and then I can tell them. And Which is, to be honest, that's one of my main impetuses for doing this audio play. Mm -hmm. I'm not doing the play in order to preach to people, law of attraction, you must become uh, adepts at it, you must learn it, and so forth. The, the whole point is simply to show people very clear examples of this leads to this leads to this. You fo People focus on this and they get that. People mm -hmm. focus on that and they get this. And just show it, which is what a good you know entertainment-type play or movie or whatever is all about. You don't actually tell a story, you show a story. And mm -hmm. so 
that's what we're doing. We're just showing the story. And that's also where it's most fun. Interesting thing. This, this is something I'm curious about your opinion on. Um, drama has interested me for a while, not in, in the sense that I've wanted to be an actor or anything like that, but I've been focused on why is it that drama is so interesting to people? Because people are fascinated by drama. I mean, literally, you can look at a thousand different examples of it. It's in the news. You, you know, people are driving down the highway and there's a traffic accident. And they all have to rubberneck to see the traffic accident. You know, they, they watch every single movie that has every single dramatic performance you could possibly imagine, every single stage play. I mean, they're just consumed with it. People are absolutely consumed with drama. Why do you think everyone's so consumed with drama? Well, we came to the contrasting universe to play with the contrast and contrast in itself um, means drama, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> yeah. So we came here for the drama, and we do enjoy the drama. And as Abram says, <laughs> as, as Abram says to some people when they're when they they're running off and spouting this and that, well, she's, they, they'll say to them, you know, you just like the drama, don't you? And <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Percent of them say, well, yeah, yeah. Well, that's <laughs> it's true. It's true. Yeah. But do you have any idea why we love it so much? That's the part I have never fully formed an answer. I mean, I, I can well, come up with answers, but I don't have something that really satisfies me yet. Well, why did we come to the physical universe? Mm -hmm. To play with the drama. Let's yeah. cut out the word contrast. So yeah. we like it a lot because it's the reason we came. Okay. To me, that that begs <laughs> the question, but I understand what you're saying. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's just really cut, cutting to the bones. It's, um, yeah. I, I guess it's another, another way of saying, well, we like it because we like it. Well, we, we like it because we know our prime directive. I like to use that word. The prime directive? Oh, my God. <laughs> it's a Star Trek analogy. You will be um, <laughs> assimilated. <laughs> um, so, yeah. The, interestingly enough, the Star Trek directive, the prime directive, is exactly what this chapter was about. Yes. <laughs> it's probably why I'm feeling the the desire to use Star Trek analogy. Yeah, just, right. Just give me one second. I, I didn't put my power on, so my laptop's dying. One second. Yeah, we don't want that. We want you to be able to stay with it. But uh, I'll just comment that, that the Prime Directive, I can't remember exactly how they state it in the Star Trek series, but the Prime Directive is basically about human visitors on their... Uh, starships traveling to other planets and not interfering in the lives of the native populations of those planets. And of course, what they do is they interfere in the lives of the native populations of those planets all the time, but they try to convince themselves that they're not doing so, which is a, an interesting little tautology to try to live through. <laughs> yeah. Um, is, is, is it a problem interfering in other people's planets and less advanced no, it's not. It's not a problem because everybody creates their own reality. They can allow it to be a problem or they can allow it to be a solution. So, And that's the key. Is it a problem? Yeah, it's a problem because we chose it as it's a problem. We've decided yeah. it's a problem. So you'll you'll amplify problem. the problem side of the double-edged yeah. double, double -edged stick, you know. Um, and I, I was always thinking about the, the Borg and the saying, you know, you'll be assimilated. Everybody right. will be assimilated. And... In a sense, we are. We, we all die. We all be assimilated into the one, into the whole. <laughs> you know, there is always the assimilation. You know, there is no getting away from it, and it's the design. And uh, you know, the hive mind is, is kind of what I see the non-physical mind being. You know, the, the the the. I still don't quite understand how the separateness in the in the, in all the one works, but there is obviously some level of separateness in the, in the one. Mm. But there seems to be the ability to share information and experiences from that perspective as well. So, yeah, it just excites me. I'm you know kind of looking forward to 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 dropping the physical body and experiencing that in. in it is in its, in its glory. <laughs> wow, I don't hear that often, do you? <laughs> Not too often. No, that's that's a fairly rare statement. Um, the, the thing that always struck me about the Borg is they focus on this idea of a collective mind, but they did it in a way that was threatening, that felt uncomfortable, that, that felt unpleasant. That that was 
a perception from the individual. It wasn't necessarily you, you, what was the one girl who was in in the hive, or I can't remember. Seven of nine. Yeah, seven of nine. So seven of nine didn't really feel uncomfortable about the hive, did she? No, she, she was saying it was you know it was all great and it was all cool. <laughs> so it, it's us from being outside the hive perceiving it as as threatening because we don't understand it. And yet, ultimately, seven of nine ended up choosing to stay out of the hive. Yeah, which is what we're doing. We've come out of the hive to to play with the contrast. So, and that to me is the, is the truly interesting part. I mean, what you're talking about, I've often summarized in terms of we are all one and we are all separate, both at the same when time. When we have a physical body, yes. Yeah. Well, I, I don't even, I, I can't even begin to speculate on what it's like when we don't have the physical body. So <laughs> yeah. I, I won't even try that. But uh, that, that's the thing I spend a lot of time speculating. Mm. I, I, my guess, my personal take on it is, I don't think it stops because we lack a physical body. I think it continues. I think that, that we are both part of the whole and separate at all time forever. That's what I kind of think as well. But again, how it all works, I'm not quite sure. That's what I'm keen to get a greater grip on. But, uh, what, what do you mean how it works? What does, what does that mean to you? Um, what it means is, okay, so you've got Abram. Abram consists of 200 non-physical entities. Then you've got Jerry and Jerry comes in. How much does Jerry and the 200 non-physical entities interact or not interact or stay separate or, um, you know, have their own, um, how much can they tap into, um, you know, <clears throat> from what I understand, it's tuning your vibration to different frequencies so that you can, um, tune into different people and different things. So um, do you still have the ability to tune then or is it, or, or does it work slightly differently? Because I know the physical body is a vibration interpreting machine. So you're kind of tuning into different stations, different frequencies. We can tune into the Donald Trump stuff that's going on, or we can tune into um, the meditative uh, state where, where you're tuning into your, um, your, your vortex, you know, from everything you want. So, you know, you can just, where, where do you want to tune your radio into? So you can play with that. So when you're non-physical, I'm not quite sure how all that works. That's what I'm trying to say. I don't know how, oh, okay. how the separateness I, and, the, and the joint. And, and, my, my take on it is that, yes, you can. You can do all those things without the physical body. The physical body becomes kind of like an interesting prop on stage. You, you, an actor can act on stage without props. But the moment mm -hmm. that a prop becomes part of what they're doing, it actually shifts the way that they do what they're doing on stage. They think about it differently. They project themselves differently. Mm. They, you know, they, they interact literally with that prop. And if, if in this case the prop is the human body, then it's almost like we create rules because of the way we interact with that prop. And that the rules become so solid because of our ability to focus and, and, and attract what we want into our lives. It becomes so solid that we believe that it can't be anything else other than what it is. I mean, mm. the belief system becomes incredible, you know, but I, I don't see that as being a different, uh, whether we're in physical or non-physical format, if you will. I mm -hmm. think the same thing happens in either case. It's just that, uh, since we're here in the physical bodies, we are now interacting with that prop on stage. And it's as if life on that stage couldn't exist without that prop. I really like that idea. I like the way you put that. Yeah. It's definitely something to think about. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's fun to speculate about this stuff. You're right. It can also give you a headache. It can work oh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of people listening to us saying, oh, I'm going to sleep. What the frig are they talking about? <laughs> so what do you think? We have time for one more chapter before we go? What's the time? So we've got about 15 minutes, minutes left. We're probably good. In. All right. So this is chapter 14. It again, starts with a handbook quote. Every person, all of the events of your life are there because you have drawn them there. Now, that's the closest I've heard in the book to law of attraction. You drew it there. What you choose to do with them is up to you, what we're just talking about. Don't you get lonely, Don? It was at the cafe in Ryerson, Ohio, that it occurred to me to ask him. Well, I'm surprised you. I said, I haven't finished my question. Don't you ever get just a little lonely? Well, what you think of, wait, wait, all these people, we see them just a few minutes. Once in a while, there's a face in the crowd, some lovely star bright woman who makes me want to stay and say hello, just be still and not moving and talk for a while. But she flies with me 10 minutes or she doesn't and she's gone. And next day I'm off to Shelbyville and I never see her again. That's lonely. But I guess I can't find lasting friends when I'm an unlasting one myself. He was quiet. 
or can I? May I talk now? I think so, yes. The hamburgers in this place were wrapped half over in thin oiled paper, and when you unwrapped them, you got sesame seeds everywhere. Useless little things, but the hamburgers were good. He ate in silence for a time, and so did I, wondering what he would say. Well, Richard, we're magnets, aren't we? Well, not magnets. We're we're iron wrapped in copper wire, and whenever we want to magnify, magnetize ourselves, we can. Pour our inner voltage through the wire, we can attract whatever we want to attract. A magnet is not anxious about how it works. It is itself, and by its nature, it draws some things and leaves other things untouched. I ate a potato chip and frowned at him. You left out one thing. How do I do it? Well, you don't do it. Cosmic law, remember? Like attracts like. Just be who you are, calm and clear and bright, automatically as we shine who we are, asking ourselves every minute, is this what I really want to do? Doing it only when we answer yes, automatically that turns away those who have nothing to learn from who we are and attracts those who do and from whom we have to learn as well. But that takes a lot of faith, and meanwhile you get pretty lonely. He looked at me strangely over his hamburger. Humbug on faith. Take zero faith. What it takes is imagination. He swept the table between us clean, pushing salt and french fries out of the way, ketchup, forks, and knives, so that I wondered what was going to happen. What would be materialized before my very eyes? If you have imagination as a grain of sesame seed, he said, herding an example seed to the middle of the clearing, all things are possible to you. I looked at the sesame seed and then at him. I wish you messiahs would get together and agree. I thought the thing was faith when the world goes against me. No, I wanted to correct that when I was working, but it was a long uphill fight. 2,000 years ago, 5,000, they didn't have a word for imagination, and faith was the best they could come up with for a pretty solemn bunch of followers, and also they didn't have sesame seeds. Now, I knew for a fact that they had sesame seeds, but I let this lie go past. I'm supposed to imagine this magnetizing. I imagine some lovely, wise, mystical lady appearing in a hayfield crowd in Tarragon, Illinois. I can do that, but that's all that is. It's just my imagination. He looked at me despair. He looked despairingly to heaven, represented for the moment by the tin plate ceiling and cold lights of Eminenda's cafe. Just your imagination? Of course it's your imagination. This world is your imagination. Have you forgotten? Where your thinking is, there is your experience. As a man thinks, so he is. That which I feared has come upon me. Think and grow rich. Create a visualization for fun and profit. How to find friends by being who you are. Your imagining doesn't change the is one wit. doesn't affect reality at all. But we are talking about Warner Brothers worlds, MGM lifetimes, and every second of those are illusions and imaginations. All dreams with the symbols we waking dreamers conjure for ourselves. He lined his fork and knife as though he was building a bridge from his place to mine. You wonder what your dreams say? Just as well you look at the things of your waking life and ask what they stand for. You with your airplanes in your life every time you turn around. Well, Don, yes. I wish he would slow down, not pile this, pile this on me all at once. Mile a minute is too fast for new ideas. If you dreamed about airplanes, what would that mean to you? Well, freedom. Airplane dreams are escape and flight and setting myself free. How clear do you want it? The dream awake is the same. Your will to be free of all things that tie you back, routine, authority, boredom, gravity. What you haven't realized is that you're already free, and you always have been. If you had half the sesame seeds of this, you're already supreme lord of your magician's life. Only imagination. What are you saying? The waitress looked at him strangely from time to time, drying dishes, listening, puzzling over who this was. So, you never get lonely, Don, I said. Well, unless I feel like it. I have friends on other dimensions that are around me from time to time. So do you. No, I mean on this dimension, this imaginary world. Show me what you mean. Give me a little miracle of the magnet. I do want to learn this. You show me, he said. To bring anything into your life, imagine that it's already there. Okay, like what? Like my lovely lady? Anything. Well, not your lady. Something small at first. I'm supposed to practice now. Yes. Okay, a blue feather. He looked at me blankly. Richard, a blue feather? You said anything, not a lady, something little. 
He shrugged. Okay, fine, a blue feather. Imagine the feather. Visualize it. Every line and edge of it, the tip, V-splits where it's torn, fluff around the quill just for a minute, and then let it go. Interesting, it's a minute. With Abraham Hicks, 65 seconds. Very interesting. I closed my eyes for a minute and saw an image in my mind, five inches long, iridescing blue to silver at the edges, a bright, clear feather floating there in the dark. Now, surround it in golden light if you want. That's a healing thing to help make it real, but it works in magnetizing, too. I surrounded my feather in gold glow. Okay, that's it. You can open your eyes now. I opened my eyes. Where's my feather? If you had it clear in your thought, it is even this moment barreling down on you like a Mack truck. My feather? Like a Mack truck? Figuratively, Richard. All that afternoon, I looked for the feather to appear, and it didn't. It was evening, dinner time, over a hot turkey sandwich that I saw it. A picture and small print on the carton of milk. Packaged for Scott Dairies by Blue Feather Farms, Bryan, Ohio. Don! My feather! He looked and shrugged his shoulders. I thought you wanted the actual feather. Well, any feather for openers, don't you think? Well, did you see the feather all alone, or were you holding the feather in your hand? All alone. Ah, that explains it. If you want to be with what you're magnetizing, you have to put yourself in the picture, too. Sorry, I didn't say that. A spooky, strange feeling. It worked. I had consciously magnetized my first thing. Day of feather, I said, tomorrow the world. Be careful, Richard, he said hauntingly, or you'll be sorry. <laughs> Interesting description of the manifestation process there. Fantastic. Um, again, it, it wasn't that clear to me from, from the book. I, I, I felt something very strongly about it. Um, but I, I also knew something was missing. And then, of course, Abram Hicks filled in the blanks. What was the missing part for you? Uh, the missing part was um, understanding the clarity of law of attraction. Thoughts create your reality. Um, the way it was pitched just seemed to make a lot, a lot, a lot more clarity for me. Mm -hmm. Then the... Focus on it for a minute. Now, the Abram Hicks said, after 14 seconds, you have magnetized it enough for it to start being drawn towards you. Then 68 seconds, which was 17 times four, I think, or something else like that, was was the minute that you were referring to, which mm -hmm. now gave, gave me the understanding that that would really magnetize it mm -hmm. a huge amount more. Uh, then the, the, the whole concept of um, it manifesting in your life, uh, the whole part about lowering your resistance, then it comes quicker and easier as mm -hmm. opposed to just step one, which was the focusing. Right. So mm -hmm. you now got the step one, step two, and step three, and then you're clearer about um, how the whole process works. So, yeah, it... it, it it was fantastic at the time, um, and the add-on information from Abram was just brilliant. But, you know, it's completely accurate. It's just clearer. It's just been made in a way that I can now fully grasp it, that there is no illusions, no doubt, and, and, and total clarity of why something doesn't come when you focused on it. Mm -hmm. uh, um, you know, it really becomes clear. Uh, and, and it's so fun. I'm just playing with a whole lot of things at the moment. Um, starting to play with the bigger ones like money and just watching more and more and more of that come into my life. Um, mm -hmm. it's, just, it's just really, really fun. And you really have to do very little for it. Extremely little. Mm -hmm. often the less you do, the more you're going to get. <laughs> which is, which is tough. I mean, especially when you're feeling the lack of money, that's really, really tough. Cause you've got to work hard or you don't get anything. <laughs> but there is a, I have come to realize there is a therapeutic value. And I think it's one of the reasons why, for instance, Joel talks about what he calls the law of action. I, I like your words, a therapeutic value to, yeah. to, to the action side. Yeah. And that is specifically there because of our old programming. Yes. It eases the old programming, which hasn't exactly. been eradicated. It's, you know, you've got to work hard for your money. You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the first word to take out is hard. 
Once you take that, that's the hardest word to take out, by the way. Is the, word. <laughs> the hardest word to take out is hard. <laughs> uh, yeah. But but letting go of the idea that it has to be hard, and then you start playing with the idea, well, geez, that means it could be fun. It could be intriguing. Yeah. yeah. It could be exciting. Yeah. It can manifest in ways that delight and surprise you. Yeah. Yeah. All the time. <laughs> Whoa. Shivers <laughs> down the spine on that one, right? I know. <laughs> too delicious for words. <laughs> the other thing, too, um, and this was one of the things you, I, I asked you what it was that um, was missing for you that Abraham filled in the gaps. For me, uh, it was the same concept, the idea of how Abraham breaks it down that after four, 17 seconds later, 14 seconds, because apparently the time frame is shrinking. But um, those first 14 to 17 seconds was all about attracting another thought. Mm. And then... Uh, the 56 to 68 seconds was about actually starting to manifest the actual physical thing into a hardened reality. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, what, what, what that did for me was it clarified something that other people seem to get very easily confused about. And I understand why they, that gets confusing, but I also didn't. Let me, let me tell you why. Yeah. You know how, like when we're meditating, we get, we, we get frustrated because we can't seem to focus on just slowing the mind down the mind gets drawn off in a thousand directions right yeah and, and i have to keep bringing it back and bringing it back and bringing it back well that's what abraham is talking about i put out a thought and before anything could start to manifest another thought came to me and it distracted me mm -hmm. it's like okay i have to bring my attention back to what i wanted it basically what abraham was explaining was how that process of meditating works yes that was very beneficial Hugely, hugely, hugely beneficial. The, the um, story about the, the cork under the water. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> whatever you want is, is like when you focus on it, it's like that cork, but it's under the water. So the natural tendency of a cork is to, to pop up. Mm -hmm. And if there's nothing pushing it down, it's just going to get to the surface. Mm -hmm. And that's what it is. You know, if there's no resistance, that cork is nothing that can stop that cork from arriving on the surface. Nothing. I like the, the Abraham example, the Abraham metaphor of, of how we attract thoughts first and then we start to attract real things by real, I mean, physical things mm. afterward is now all of a sudden it makes sense why my mind would be distracted. Of course it must be. I'm getting yeah. the thoughts first. That's, that's the distraction. And it's actually, in, in one sense, it's not even a distraction. It's just here I am manifesting the first thing that comes back to me, which is another thought. Mm which is the natural process. But now you don't want your thoughts to wander around randomly. You now want to focus them more on what you want. So yes. it, it's instead of letting them go off in all different directions, you're now corralling them to say, you know, let, let, let's get what I want. And to do that, we need to place a thought on what we want. So we, we take it from what we don't want, put it on what we want, take it from what we don't want usually or don't care about or not that interested in and they move it into where we want and then slowly but surely your laser focus comes in and bang That's you it. start manifesting what you want it just all shoots off in the right direction then you've got step one all right and then you've got to work on step three which is distract yourself do something fun do something happy do something that you enjoy so that you're not pushing what you want away from you and, and plus to me it's also very calming and soothing to realize that when my mind is being distracted and, and going off in all those direct, different directions, yeah, that's yeah. actually a good thing. It's yeah. a good thing because it's basically reinforcing for me, here is where my mind has been focused. Mm. And if I don't like necessarily where that thought direction was, I don't have to stay with that. Mm. I can go where I wanted to go. I'm actually free to interact with it any way I want to. Exactly. I don't have to get upset about the fact that, oh, my God, I couldn't focus on what it was I wanted to focus on all that time. It, it was a statement one person said to me many years ago at a, at a spiritual seminar I went to. He said, you can always choose your next thought. Yes. And I was like, ah, oh, mm -hmm. can actually. Yeah, I can choose what I want to think about next. I can. I can do that. <laughs> and it was like quite an eye-opener for me. It was really, really, really valuable. Um, and then, of course, you forget about it and you carry on bumping your head in your life. And I, I was speaking to, speaking to my wife and I was saying, you know, you really need somebody to hold the candle of the philosophy and the teaching in your society, in your area, in your group, etc. You need somebody who's really clear about it, who can really hold it, because that person's going to be of immense value to, to, to everybody around them. That's true. 
Uh, we, we, we we referred to Star Trek during the show, so I'll finish with a Star Trek quote. Cool. <laughs> Go for it. It was one from the original Star Trek series where Kirk ends up in an alternative universe speaking to an alternative Spock. And he's trying to convince that alternative Spock to create a revolution because it's such an authoritarian society. Um, and as he's about to be transported back to his version, to his universe, um, he says to Spock, Mr. Spock, in every revolution, there is always one man with a vision. <laughs> that always stuck with me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. A white person is clear about what they want. Yeah. There, and it is. Not, there is no revolution. <laughs> Well, it's a revolution in thought, and that's really what all that really matters anyway. Revolution in thought is, yeah. is you know, changing your thought around to what it is that you want. Mm. So, with that thought in mind, <laughs> I will draw our show to a conclusion, and we'll be uh, we're pretty close to finishing the book. I don't know if we'll finish it next week, but we'll certainly finish it over the next two weeks. So I'm that'll be good. I've, I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, I have pretty as well. Short, clear. Yeah. Good stuff. So thank you, and thank you to our live stream listeners, and thank you to our podcast listeners as well. And we will see you all next time here on LOA Today. Goodbye, everybody. Bye, DM, everybody. Stop the live stream.